Hey, it is the River Tree Canal Fulton podcast, and we are in our sixth week of our series on the Holy Spirit called Wild Goose Chase. This week, we're continuing a conversation about the gifts and the church and the weird stuff, and it's kind of a part two from last week's message, so if you missed that, go into our stream and you can listen to it. But uh, today, we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and the gifts of tongues and prophecy and what they mean for the church. So we hope you enjoy this conversation. Look, we've got a ton happening in our community and as we're gearing up, kind of swinging through the summer and towards the fall, we have a lot of things that are gonna be happening. So if you have questions about who we are, what's happening and how you can plug in, you should go to our website, rivertreecanalfulton.com and uh, check us out. Tell us what's going on and reach out to us. We'd love to know you're listening and how we can pray for you and uh, just bless you as you are blessing us uh, by participating in this podcast. So anyway, enjoy the sermon from week six of Wild Goose Chase. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit in a series called Wild Goose Chase. And last week, uh, my sermon was called Uh, The spirit, the church, and the weird stuff. Because we're talking about spiritual gifts in scripture. uh, And that includes some of the stuff that if you've grown up in the church or you've been around the church, maybe you've had experiences that uh, were weird. And the Bible talks about weird things. We're going to talk about weird things. Last week, I didn't even get to make it all the way through the sermon. So I actually broke it up so we could continue this conversation. Um, but it's funny because you can't, you can't talk about the Spirit and his life in the church apart from talking about what our kids sang about this morning, about the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Jesus being formed in us, but also about talking about the gifts of the Spirit because whether we are excited about it or nervous about it or don't know what to think about spiritual gifts, they are what Scripture says the Holy Spirit himself has gifted us as the church to have for specific purposes in the world. And like Paul says in um, chapter 12, verse one, he says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant. Uh, Paul's entire communication in these three chapters, in these three chapters that of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are the largest section of the New Testament that talks continuously about spiritual gifts. So we we're, we're camped here for a couple of reasons, but part of it is like Paul actually dedicated a lot of space to this conversation in a way that helps us give space to this conversation as a church. He says the primary thing is he doesn't want the church to be ignorant or uninformed. Uh, and we don't want to be that way either because that will either lead us to, uh, and we talked about this some last week, about either to like dismiss and kind of uh, put away some of the gifts that God gives the church, which why would God give us gifts to just then bury them and not use them. Or it would maybe allow church to become hyper-focused on gifts to a point where it's unhealthy. And like my dad says, puts the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Like it makes the church life about gifts rather than the larger picture of things. So we want to rightly talk about spiritual gifts as a church because we believe they're a part of the work of the spirit in us for a specific purpose. So last week we talked about this. We talked about how spiritual gifts are what the spirit does when he moves through the church. And we've been using uh, this glove as a metaphor. If, if we are made and designed by God to be filled with the spirit, like this glove, a glove doesn't do anything by itself. I could 
lift it up. I could admonish it. I could challenge it. I could push it harder. But unless it is filled, it won't do anything. But once it is filled with a hand, it can do all sorts of things. And we were created to be filled by the Spirit in the same way so that we might do the things that God has um, not only called the church to do, but actually that we might join in the larger mission and uh, purpose of God. Because when the Spirit fills the church, he doesn't do ungodlike things. He does the things that God would do, right? Because that's the way God is. He's consistent. So the Spirit's going to do spirit things. And if we look at the spiritual gifts and some of the lists that we find in the Scripture, whether it is evangelism or... Um, like apostolic gifts of starting and bringing the gospel into new places, whether it is helps and mercy, whether it is healing, whether it is encouragement, whether it is prophecy, whether it is tongues, whatever it is, it's an extension of what God is already doing in the world. The spiritual gift is what God would do if he filled the church. And as he fills the church, then we should expect spiritual gifts to be a part of our conversation. Spiritual gifts are for the common good. Each is gifted by the spirit for this end. So we talked about this as well, that the aim, the purpose of every spiritual gift is the common good of everyone. And to each, and we talked about this last week, each of us is an each. So you're an each. Each one of us is given spiritual gifts. There's nobody who has the Holy Spirit who does not also, is not filled with the Spirit and given gifts for the common good of everyone. And the great news about this is this has nothing to do with it. Like gifts aren't maturity, Everyone gets gifts just because you have spiritual gifts doesn't mean you're spiritually mature, but it also means it doesn't matter how young or maybe disqualified you feel like you are in your own faith. The spirit, if he's in you, he gives you gifts for the common good of everyone. Maturity is actually learning to yield and to be filled with the spirit and to use your gifts for the common good, to not bury them, to not hide them and to not be ignorant about them or make them the focus of things, but instead to say, how do these gifts become a way that God works and moves in the world around us. That the gifts lift up Jesus and they build up others. And we want whatever God has given us, whatever comes out when he fills us, we want that to be good for everyone. So he comes back to chapter 14, follow the way of love, eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit. Right in the middle of Paul's big conversation about spiritual gifts, we have the chapter that we mostly hear at weddings, chapter 13, love is patient, love is kind, love is, we hear all this stuff about love, and Paul couches his conversation about gifts in the larger picture of love, because spiritual gifts themselves aren't the point. If you had all of the most powerful gifts of faith and prophecy and tongues, and you don't have love, he says it's nothing. It amounts to nothing, it does nothing, because the point of gifts is not gifts, the point of gifts is love, the Spirit of God fills the church with gifts because he loves the church and he loves the world. And those gifts are given so that that love can be extended. Remember, what would the Spirit do? He would love the world. So when he fills the church, the gifts are an extension of the love of God as he reveals Jesus to the world, as he builds up the church. It's an extension of what the Spirit is already doing. And Paul sits that in the middle of this conversation because if you lose sight of that, then the gifts become parlor tricks and weird Jesus magic and not what they're intended to be, which is something that builds up the church. So today in chapter 14, we're going to keep going and we're going to talk about the ones that were probably the most problematic in the church in Corinth. And if we're real honest, trip up a lot of us even today in the Western church, the gifts of prophecy and tongues. 
And some of it is because some churches have been like, that stuff's weird and we don't want the weird stuff. So uh, we'll just pretend they're not there. And other churches are like, hey, we love the weird stuff. Let's get super weird. And it becomes the point to a point where it distorts Jesus and the gospel. And we uh, don't see Paul actually um, doing either of these. Matter of fact, Paul addresses the topic of prophecy in tongues, not by abolishing them, not by like saying we're not doing that, but by clarifying why they are a gift to the church and how they should be used by the church. He doesn't say, let's not do this, you weirdos. He says, let's focus on why these are a gift and how they should be used well by the church. Um, and um, as a pastor, if God has given us gifts, no matter what they are, I pray that we would be welcoming because we understand why they're given and we understand how they're to be used when we're together. So um, today we're going to deal with these things. And I want to start by just kind of clearly talking about prophecy for a minute. So let's talk about it. So prophecy is the act of speaking on God's behalf in order to strengthen and encourage or comfort the church. It's the, the act of speaking on God's behalf in order to strengthen, encourage, or comfort the church. Drew, where do you get that definition? It's actually in the next verse. He says, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to others for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. This is the end goal of prophecy. And it sounds like Jesus, right? He wants us to be strengthened and encouraged and comforted. It sounded when Jesus promised the Spirit, he says, what's the Spirit gonna do? He's gonna guide you into all truth. He's gonna comfort you. He's gonna be with you so you won't be alone. This is an extension of the ministry of the Spirit. So prophecy uh, is that. I'm gonna, we're gonna get to tongues in a minute, but I wanna stay on this, this topic for a moment. So let's start with that first part. Prophecy is speaking on God's behalf. Now, this isn't a new concept to the New Testament church because as you look in, through the entire Old Testament, God sends prophets to speak on his behalf to Israel. Um, Peter says in 2 Peter 1.20, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. This was the understanding of what a prophet does, that God sends them to speak on his behalf to a people. This isn't new. The gift of prophecy assumes that God is still speaking through the Spirit. Now, I want you to know this. Uh, if you believe that God no longer speaks to his church, you're in the wrong church. We believe that God speaks to us, that he speaks to us clearly uh, in a number of ways, but that God is not... He's not dead. He's not like left us alone to just be like, well, figure it out. Have a good life. I let things go. I gave you things and, you know, just figure it out. Instead, that God is an active agent who still speaks. Uh, matter of fact, what's, what's different about the New Testament is not that God sends people to speak on his behalf. It's the fact that everyone gets the spirit. And so everyone gets to participate in speaking on God's behalf to one another. When Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, he quotes the prophet Joel who says, in the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That's everyone. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Peter goes to Joel to help the people understand what's happening is that through the Messiah, God has ushered in a new day where his spirit is being poured out on all flesh, men, women, young, old, It's an all play. Everyone gets to participate who puts their faith in Jesus. The gift of prophecy is this marker of the inbreaking reign of God through Jesus. Like this is what happens. It's the byproduct. It's the fruit. When Jesus takes the throne, he pours out his spirit on his people. And part of it is that I don't have one person who gets to know God. We all get to know God because we're all gifted the Holy Spirit. And because we're gifted the Spirit who speaks, then we are all participants in the way that God speaks to the church and to the world. One way that this happens is through scriptures. Uh, And we did a series in February. If you weren't here, you can go and, and listen to that on our website or through our podcast. We did an entire series called Words of Life about the scriptures. Uh, And I want to underline this to everyone. Uh, God has chosen his scriptures as a means of grace to reveal and speak to his church. Like we are not a church that is abandoning the Bible. Uh, We are a church that takes scripture seriously. And we do so because we believe God has chosen his scripture to speak words of life through the spirit to us. Like we we are not pushing the Bible aside. We are pulling the Bible front and center because we believe the Holy Spirit speaks to his church and because the scriptures are a gift to us. If you want to explore that, You can go listen to those sermons. I don't have time to dive into that today. I also want to emphasize that we also believe that God uses the gift of prophecy in the church. And we believe it for two reasons. One, because he promised the church would do it. And when he poured out his spirit, it would happen. And two, when we believe the Bible well, we hear Paul saying the church will prophesy to one another. Like, the more biblical we become, the more serious we have to take this idea of prophecy as a gift. Now, I I think that when we hear this, it raises a lot of questions. Like, what does it look like? How do we know? What do we do? Or the big question is, like, how do we know this is from God? Because maybe you've witnessed this in your own life, whether it's a, a TV evangelist speaking things, whether it is some friend of yours who maybe they look at you and they're like, well, God told me this about you. And you're like, I think you're kind of crazy. Maybe you've had those people who've spoken into your life. Let me tell you a story. When I was in college, uh, I was part of a college uh, ministry where God was moving and doing incredible things. Uh, And we were in a dangerous situation in the site that we didn't have any like adults who had walked with Jesus for a while giving us like any oversight. We were just kind of like crazy and into Jesus and trying to figure out what's happening. And so we were gathered and praying one night and my friend, uh, it was my brother and three or four friends of mine, but one of my friends, he was praying for me and he said, man, I feel like God's just showing me this vision for you. I'm like, okay. And he's like, it's like, there's like this bird and it like gets killed. I'm like, what? He's like, I think God's telling me you're gonna be martyred. And I was like, what? Cause like in four days I was going to Mexico on a mission trip. 
And so I'm sitting there. By the time this trip comes around, my brother who was there, he's like hugging me like I'm about to go die. And I've got this knot in my stomach, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go give my life. Like, and of course, like I just go there and I eat delicious tacos and hang out with cool people in Mexico. Um, didn't die, spoiler alert. Um, I've had experiences where people have said crazy things to me in the name of Jesus. And I'll be honest, sometimes with the right people, there's grace and and, and a willingness to learn. And I hope we're the kind of church that makes room for people to learn the voice of God. But sometimes that stuff is not only like crazy, but harmful to the witness of the church. Um, And this is why I'm thankful that we have passages like this. We have the wisdom of God's scripture who hasn't left us alone because he's given us his spirit and his word to guide us in this. I also wanna say like, A fear that prophecy might be misused or abused is not a reason to reject it. Uh, I had a friend in middle school who stabbed me with a pencil. I still use pencils. I've bitten my tongue while I was eating a meal. And I don't miss many meals, in case you haven't noticed. Um, There are times where this can be harmful, and, and we don't want to encourage or lift those up as good. But it doesn't mean that we should outright reject this. If the Holy Spirit himself has said, I'm giving this to the church as a gift for your good, to strengthen you and to encourage you and to comfort you because we need strength and encouragement and comfort that comes from the Spirit. So how do we know? Well, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells the church there, he says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything and hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. As he's encouraging the church, he says, look, don't put, the, don't put the Spirit's fire out and don't just treat everything that anyone says, hey, this might be God, with contempt. Instead, what he says the wise thing to do that the church should do is to test everything. To not take it at face value, but also to not reject it because it's weird or it comes in some package that I don't necessarily like but to test everything and to hold on to what is good. Now, I've been in the church long enough to be around people who have had dreams and visions, who feel like God has given them specific scripture. Like, and maybe you've, some of this might give you some language where you've been praying for someone and it's like a certain scripture comes to mind. And that could be prophecy at work. Or maybe you just get a sense, I feel like God is wanting to say this. Most of the prophecy in the Old Testament is not about the future. It's about what God is saying in the moment. So let that, like, we're not trying to be predictive. We are trying to see what God might be saying to the church. But maybe you've been in certain circumstances where these things have happened. And I I will be candid with you. I have had them happen to me. I've had people speak things to me. And I've had the opportunity to speak things to people. Uh, The beautiful thing about God and his spirit is he knows how to speak to us. But he also doesn't leave us alone with no way to test, is this God or not? So I want to talk about this uh, just in a very candid way. We test prophecies through three major ways. One, does it align with Scripture? In a very simple sense, if you want to know if something that you're sensing in any way that you might sense God is speaking is from God, the first thing you need to say is, does this align with Scripture? You know, if someone's like, well, I was praying, I feel like God told me he hates you. Like, that's not the Bible. Jesus tells me that God doesn't hate me. He might not like something I'm doing, but the heartbeat of God's character 
and nature is love. One of the simple ways that we test whether something we are sensing God might be saying for us or for someone else is to take it back to Scripture. The second thing, does it align with Jesus' character and mission? Maybe you've been in a situation where you're praying for wisdom about a, a choice to make and you maybe feel like God might be leading one way or the other. One of the simple things that I always ask is, well, what's God doing in the world and does it line up with that? I mean, even as we prayed uh, about what it means for us to come and to serve uh, this church, one of the simple things I had to ask is, well, what is God doing in the world? And he's revealing himself and he's reconciling people to himself and he's making all things new. And he has a church that is joining him in that work. And I'm like, well, if God's calling me to that, at least those things line up. It sounds like Jesus. It sounds like what he's doing. This is a simple way through the scripture and through the person and mission of Jesus that we can very easily say, well, this, that's God and that's not. Uh, the third thing, does it strengthen, encourage, or comfort the church? Maybe you've been around someone who, when they feel like God's talking to them, it's all doomsday negative junk. And I'm just going to give you permission to say, if it doesn't strengthen, encourage, or build up the church, it's okay for you to immediately be like, I don't know if that's God. Because he said the way that prophecy will function in the church is it will strengthen and encourage or comfort the church. And so... I am totally cool with you saying, you don't have to label people false prophets or anything like that. I'm just saying, if you want to know how to test something and to, to know, do I hold on to this or do I let it go? Well, does it line up with scripture? Does it line up with Jesus? And does it strengthen, encourage, and build up the church? And I'm going to add a fourth one right now just because I feel like this is a good thing for us to remember. The fourth one is you test it in community. I had somebody share a word from the Lord with me. Uh, and I hear that phrase, and I, some of you, when you hear that, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm the same way. But at the same time, I've had to learn, don't hold prophecy with contempt, but to test everything and to cling to what is good. So I had somebody speak something to me, and it, it was like, and I, I'm going to share that. I'm going to be honest with you. If one of you hears this, and you're like, I know exactly what that means. You should tell me. Because it was, they had a vision, and it was a bear who was facing away with me, who was observing from a distance what God is doing here in Canal Fulton. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> cool. I like, that was my reaction. Cool. Bears are cool. <laughs> I don't know. What do you do? Um, but I'm like, well, I, I, there's nothing in scripture about bears. There's like the thing where Elijah calls the bears out of the woods and it kills his kids. That's a whole nother story. That's weird, but that's not what was happening. Uh, there's a line with Jesus. I don't know. Jesus isn't a bear, so I'm not really worried about that. And so I was just like, I don't know what to do with it. So I'm just going to, eh. But I've also had other circumstances. Catherine and I, when we came from Kentucky to Ohio to, take, to consider the job with Rivertree, at that time I was working for Rivertree Jackson, or I was, about, was being offered a job there. Um, we had some people pray over us, and one of them said, hey, I just I want to share this with you, and I don't know if this means anything. We had this vision, and it's like, a, it's like a road that's like so snowy that you can barely drive on it. But like as you keep going, it's like things just begin to clear out to the point where everything is crystal clear ahead of you. And Catherine and I heard that. And we're like, okay. Don't know what to do with that. I don't know if that's Jesus or if that's not Jesus or if that's like lasagna. Like what is, I don't know what that is. But the day we came to sign on our house, um, we had to leave 
an extra six hours early because there was a snowstorm in Kentucky so thick that it literally took us, what would take us uh, about an hour and a half took us like four hours to get from Kentucky to Cincinnati. But as we drove, it went from roads that were so impacted with snow that you could barely move to bright, wide open spaces when we got to Ohio. And we looked at each other and it was another way that God was affirming that he was ahead of us. And that's where some of this stuff, we are, who knows how God speaks. But for us, that encouraged us that what we were doing was a step of faithfulness that God was ahead of us in. I also want to say, uh, I'm officially saying, I don't want you to be that guy. And that guy is the person who is looking at someone and saying, well, God told me to tell you this. Um, I think one of the ways that prophecy gets undercut as a reality in the church is that sometimes people just don't talk about what God might be revealing to them well. Like it's, it's, it becomes like a thus saith the Lord. And if you deny what I'm telling you God said, then you're wrong. Like there's no humility and there's no willingness to, to test things. And so like, don't be that person in the church who's like, hey, God told me to tell you this, boom. And just like, I think there has to be a humility in the church um, where we both take the risk of saying, I sense that God might be saying this to you or to us. But we also couch it in saying, hey, I don't know if this is God or not. Test it. Hold to what is true. That we are willing to both take the risk of encouraging and strengthening and building up the church, but also with humility say, we're figuring this out. Like learning how God speaks is a lifelong journey that none of us have the corner on. So just because I work at a church doesn't mean that I get this and you don't. And just because you are young or old or man or woman or whatever, he says he's gonna pour it out on all the church and that wherever the gift shows up, we should have both the humility and the hunger to hear what God is speaking to us. So we have to be humble. We have to be willing to learn, to make mistakes. And I think that begins with us being willing to be filled with the spirit and to be gracious with each other in community as we figure out what it means to use whatever God's revealing to us for the good of everyone. So as we continue in chapter 14, he says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Later on in verse 12, he says, so it is with you since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. As Paul is talking about this, he keeps underlining that prophecy is not about prophecy. Prophecy is about building up the church. The tongues is not about tongues. It's about building up the church. And if you're going to err on the side of anything, it should be on the thing that is on the common good and the building up of the body. Because that's why this gift exists. It is given... And he's like, I want you to eagerly pursue spiritual gifts. Like, don't be passive about them. Seek that the Lord would fill you for gifts for the common good, that you would bring something to the church to build the church up, to strengthen the church, to comfort the church, because the church needs that. We need that as we walk with Jesus and we go after what God has on this wild goose chase of a life. 
Now, as he talks about tongues, I want to continue to offer clarity there. So he's kind of differentiating. And as we read the scripture, we see uh, two really camps of the way that tongues function. Uh, one is, uh, and the word tongues comes from the word uh, glossa or glossia. When you see that word spoken, it's, it should remind you of the word glossary. Uh, it's just language. <laughs> and so uh, speaking in tongues is a language. Uh, it could be a specific language to a specific people. Like in the, the book of Acts, you see tongues are spoken that match the ethnic groups of the people who were present in Jerusalem for Pentecost. So as they're speaking in tongues, people are hearing the gospel in their own native tongue. And this is one way that the gift of tongues in the church still works. My friend Ricky, um, who's a pastor who honestly didn't believe God did any of this stuff anymore, went to Brazil on a mission trip and they went down the Amazon for seven hours to talk to a tribe of people who had never uh, encountered the gospel before. And as he's meeting with the village leaders and the chiefs of that village, he is talking through an interpreter and at one point, the interpreter is just staring at him and he's talking and he's like, why aren't you, why aren't you interpreting? He's like, because you're speaking their language. And he preached the gospel to these tribal leaders for 20 minutes in a tongue he had never spoken and it opened a door for them to come and bring the gospel to a people who had never heard it. When he came back and told me that story, he was just like, I, I don't know. He, he was like, it was as if I knew, I just knew what to say. It was gifted to me. I could hear it and I just said it. And I didn't think God did that anymore, but he does. That's one of a number of stories of people that I personally know who have had that experience where they've been in a context and the spirit has been upon them and they have spoken in the tongue of people who needed a sign and clarity about the good news of Jesus. This is what gifts do. They lift up Jesus and they build people up. That's one way that the gift of tongues work. Do I understand all the mechanics of it? No. Outside of the fact that the Holy Spirit can speak every language, right? And that the vision of the kingdom in Revelation is people of every tribe and tongue and nation gathered before the throne. So we should not be surprised when the Spirit enables the church to communicate to every tribe and tongue and nation the good news of Jesus because that's the vision of where we're headed. Again, what would the Spirit do if he was filling his church? He would bring Jesus to every place in the world. That's one facet of it. But we also see... Paul's speaking, um, where in verse two, like we read, where he says, anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God. Um, there is a facet of this where Paul talks about speaking in a tongue in a way that is prayer. Uh, this comes from 1 Corinthians 4, 13 through 15. He says, for this reason, um, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he might interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind. I'll sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my mind. So Paul says sometimes there's people who have a gift and there's nobody interpreting it. And that's okay. That is a thing that happens. Uh, but he also says in the church that um, the goal in the church is that the church be built up, not like an individual get built up. So let's put it like this. Tongues without interpretation are for your personal strengthening, strengthening, um, 
Tongues with interpretation are for the strengthening of the church. The way that Paul describes it, both of these things can happen. And anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that they interpret it. Um, but if you don't interpret it, just know that's not for anyone else's strengthening but you. And that's cool. I want the Spirit to strengthen me, so I'll take it. <laughs> if it happens to you, great. The Spirit strengthens us in lots of ways, and if that's a gift that he gives you to be strengthened. But he says interpretation is actually the goal when we're together because uh, if you speak in a tongue and no one interprets, then basically you get the blessing and no one else does. So, and that's not the point of us being together. He says in verse 22, you see that speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of, of believers, not unbelievers. He goes on, and I love this. I should have put these scriptures up there. He says, um, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they're convicted of sin, they're brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. See, when Paul talks about what's good for the church when it gathers, his focus is that we would be built up and that anyone else that comes into the church, the experience they would have is not one where they're like, you guys are crazy, but instead they're like, God is really here. So in the context of community, the way the spiritual gifts, if it's not lifting up Jesus and building up other people, it's a distraction from what God ultimately desires his church to look like. So what if someone started speaking in tongues or prophesying here at Canal Fulton? I told a story last week of a church I was in in Kentucky where this happened in a service. A guy stood up at this moment and began speaking in tongues. And it was a weird transition that honestly neither of myself as the worship leader or the guy who was the pastor. It, it just happened at a really weird moment. And we just kind of kept rolling because we, we missed it. Um, but people in the room didn't miss it. And they were like, what? And we had some people actually, uh, a family member came up to me and was like, what, what happened? Were they speaking Swahili? Like, what was that? Um, there are times in services where things like this can or could happen. Um, and I love that we are committed to scripture because scripture speaks to this. What do you do in those circumstances? Paul says, what shall we say? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. And all these must be done for the strengthening of the church. I wanna stop there. Uh, I love that Paul's picture of the church is that everyone is bringing things to the church. This is like a whole nother sermon, but like, isn't it amazing that Paul's picture of the church is not people coming simply to be blessed by the church, but they're coming with things to offer the church. That God gives the gifts for the sake of the church. So when we come together, we're not just coming to receive, although that's great because there's times where we need to receive, but we're also coming saying, what do I have to give to bless and build up the church? What has God revealed to me for the sake of others? And he says, all of this must be done for the strengthening of the church. Again, he's emphatic that these things are good for us. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at the most should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. And I've been in churches where this has happened and it's beautiful. I've been in churches where this has happened and it's been absolute chaos. Um, and in those levels, I wanna say like as the pastor of the church, part of my responsibility 
is that as we're in worship, if God is moving in a way where these gifts become present, that we just operate in an orderly way. So like, I'll, I'm not going to say, hey, let's not have God's gifts to us function. What I will say is it's, it's my responsibility to make sure that we follow the way the Spirit has gifted us, but also the instructions of how God calls us to gather together. He continues, let two or three people prophesy. Let others evaluate what is said. There, again, test it. If someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak one after the other so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. That's another sign. Are we do, is what's happening, the Lord? Well, people who are out of control, that's a sign that maybe, maybe we're tempering into something that's not the way it should be because he says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Um, I just wanted to read that out loud because I, I really do believe as we grow as a church, some of these gifts will be a natural part of growth. As we are filled with the Spirit, every gift that God says is the church's, we should see in our church. Um, to continue, he says um, in verse 39 and 40, therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So God just says, ultimately, if it's about building up the church, and we're yielded to one another and yielded to Christ and we're doing things in an orderly way, uh, this will be something that the gifts in the church become a beautiful gift to the church. Uh, it doesn't mean there's not like a, a risk or a um, unfamiliarity or even just like a step of faith that the church has to meet, to do, to work in these gifts. Uh, but I want you to hear me that we are committed to making space for the spirit to speak to our church however we choose, however he chooses, sorry. Um, and some of this is already happening. Like we pray, I, some of you don't know this, at 9.15 we pray in this room for 30 minutes every Sunday. 9.15 to 9.45. Open invite for any of you who wanna come and pray. And we pray for the people who are coming and we pray for God to speak. But we always ask this question as we get going. Like, Lord, is, is there something you wanna say to us? Are there scriptures that matter? And we come together and we share. And sometimes it, there's nothing. And sometimes it's like, I feel like God, God was reminding me of this scripture. I feel like God was saying this. And we test and weigh things together, and we pray for the good of our church. Uh, and as we grow as a church, we're probably gonna have to learn how to do this in a lot of different spaces. But I want you to hear me outright. Uh, I believe that God speaks to his church, and I believe that we have to make room for God to speak in ways uh, that require us to be filled with the spirit, but for also for us to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. We have to fight to lift up Jesus and to build up others. Paul's teaching, again, is he literally says, like, don't forbid these things. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, and I'll invite up our worship team as we start to wrap up. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Like the wild goose chase of following the Spirit. I think we as a church need to just make our peace with the fact that if we are being filled with the spirit, that God's going to do spirit things in our midst. Um, and some of them might be a little weird, but that ultimately, if it's for the lifting up of Jesus and the building up of the church, then we will have to not only welcome, but eagerly desire whatever gifts God has given his body for the sake of the body and for the sake of the world. Um, 
And I come back to verse 1 of chapter 14 because I feel like there's a lot of questions that come out of this. In many ways, like, it starts off with, like, if love is the focal point of our church and gifts are an extension of love, are we willing to make room for spiritual gifts to be a way that the church and the world is loved practically through us? Do we, do we, are we willing to be weird in order to love the world and one another? Um, because in some ways, the way the Spirit fills the church uh, means that we will have to become less like ourselves and more like the Spirit for the building up of the church and the lifting up of Jesus in our city. Um, I really do also think that um, we have to be willing to try. Um, and this is all the way across the board. Uh, I think that every spiritual gift that God gives, uh, he doesn't give in a way that doesn't require you to also step out in faith and participate. Um, just like he described prophecy, like that no one's just overwhelmed to the point where they can't do anything but that thing. That every spiritual gift, if you're going to be merciful, it's because you're choosing by the Spirit's power to be merciful. If you're going to encourage, if you're going to pray for healing, if you're going to uh, prophesy, if you're going to lead or evangelize or teach, none of these things, like I don't wake up on a Sunday and just like, blah, because I can't control it. I have to get up here and choose to teach every time I preach. Because that's the way it works. It's, it's, it's us being willing to be participants in and eagerly desire and follow after love in a way that allows gifts to happen. Um, so as we, um, as we prepare for the table and as we just respond, uh, and I know I'm over, um, I just want to make a little bit of space for us to ask the question, Jesus, what does it mean for us to be a people who are, um, who've been gifted you, and who've been given gifts for the building up of the church. Um, next week when we're together, we're gonna talk about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Um, but we see that people who are filled with the Spirit use their gifts to lift up Jesus and to build up others. Um, and I know this room is probably filled with a lot of different experiences and a lot of different um, ways that you know how God has worked in your life. But I also know that um, if you look across this room, everyone here has been given things by the Spirit. Some of them you can name, some of them you might not be able to, but whatever it is, it was given for everyone else in this room. And the only way that the church gets your gifts is if you give them. The Spirit gives them to you so that you can give them for the common good. And we have to be a church if we're like, okay, God's intention is whatever he gives me, it's not just for me, but it's for the good of the church that we have to be a people who are willing to say, here it is. Like here it is, Jesus, but also like, here it is, church. I'll give encouragement, I'll give mercy, I'll give service. I'll speak the things that I think God is saying because it's not just for me, it's for us. And we'll take the risk because the greater risk is to have a church that has a ton of gifts given by the Spirit and just bury them. And Jesus isn't lifted up and the church isn't built up. That's not what our world needs right now. So let's take a moment and let's pray. And let's pray this simple prayer, just come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit.